There's not much that hurts more than discovering someone you know is not who you thought they were. I'm sure you guys have probably gone through something like that. The, the shock and hurt that comes from those that you thought were your friends or more than friends, uh, someone that was trustworthy, and then they all of a sudden something happens. I mean, it, it just cuts deep, right? It, this person that should have been a safe person, uh, a parent, a friend, they, sh- they were the safe place, and then all of a sudden, boom. They're not who you thought they were. And you're left wondering why. And, and then the second guessing and, and everything and, and everyone starts coming in. And, you know, this happens where someone that gives a, a that you think you know who they are, right? And then all of a sudden the mask kind of comes off. I mean, we know that in a personal level, uh, everyday type thing. But there's the extreme case, right? The, and this is where I think of like the serial killer type thing of, of they are Mr. Nice, Mr. Rogers type thing. But next thing you know, he's got all these dead bodies in his basement type thing, all right? And you were like, whoa, that is not who I thought he was, right? And that's the whole, uh, that's why I, I find it actually fascinating looking at some of those guys. Because I'm like, man, what would cause them? to go so off course, right? This criminal uh, psychology that goes into this and trying to figure out what would cause someone to go off and do something, especially when they know it's not right, right? Surely they know what's right and wrong. So why did they do it? How did they get to that point? And, and, And the reason I'm saying this is because that's the whole point of 1 Timothy is talking and addressing this false teachers and false teaching that is coming up within the church, and it's causing a battle for heart, right? It's causing this, uh, it's causing a, a battle to, that needs to be fought. And so Paul is addressing that and is saying, hey, listen, these guys are not who they thought they, you thought they were, and you need to address it. So surely, uh, what, how'd they get to this point? The same thing is true with the false teachers is that they they knew just enough of the truth. That's why they were so believable. That's why people were going to them and saying, okay, and they would just tweak stuff just enough, right? Just give enough of a lie. That's what would make it false. And and so how would they do that? Like, how did they get to that point? How did they end up so far gone and causing so much tremendous harm? Now, we're coming to the end of our study in 1 Timothy. We're in 1 Timothy 6, the very last chapter, and Paul is recapping things and giving this final charge to Timothy and the faithful leaders. And the question has to be swirling in Timothy's mind all along with everything that's going on, and Paul's kind of readdressing it. He's like, Timothy's rustling, who can I trust? Who can I trust? I thought I could trust them, and now I can't. They seem so solid. How could they go so far off course and... Then there's also the side of it, too, is could that happen to me? Could I end up so far or far off course that I'm a false teacher and, and I'm living a lie instead of the truth? So we're going to get into all that. You, and this is something that we should be asking ourselves at all times because it's really naive to just say, hey, just trust everybody. All right, There's a general trust that we have with everyone, but at the same time, if your spider senses are going off saying, hey, this person's not trustworthy, you should probably listen to that, all right? There's probably a good reason that you're, you're, you're getting that vibe. And so we got to be able to focus on that. Uh, and so 
we're always asking ourselves, can I trust this person? Who is worthy of following and hanging around with? And, and how can I make sure that I don't go astray? Those are the questions that we want to look at today. So Paul answers some of these in 1 Timothy uh, 6. It's the second half of verse 2, uh, and we're going to go to verse 5 today. All right. So he goes on and says, Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs On the truth, to them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Uh, That's the New Living Translation, but the ESV, I love the way that it kind of says some of the stuff is at the end of verse 5. It says, the constant friction among people who are deprived in mind and deprived of the truth. All right, And we're going to get into some of that terminology as well uh, here in just a minute. But here's the thing that we can see in verse 3. All right, he says, you know, he says, hey, you need to teach these things, encourage everyone to obey these things. This is going to lead them to protect their heart. It's going to protect the heart of the gospel, and that's under constant attack, especially within if we're not careful. And some people, it says, may contradict our teaching. So what is their teaching? He says it in the next thing. He says, the wholesome teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. All right, so let's talk about that. Here's the thing. No one wakes up one day and says, you know what? I think I'm going to go apostate. I'm just going to walk away from the faith. I'm just, I have read this, but you know what? Today, I'm going the opposite direction. It doesn't happen like that, all right? It usually starts with a little compromise. That's where it all starts. Everything always starts with that little compromise. And then it's kind of that snowball effect, right? You start, you've seen the cartoons where they start with the little snowball at the top, and then as it goes down, it turns into this huge ball, and then it splats, wildy, coyote, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's, it starts, though, with that very small compromise. That's ah, not that big of a deal, right? It's not that big of a deal to tell this little juicy gossip. It's not that big of a deal to tell this little lie. It's not this big of a deal to do this. It's not that big of a deal, all right? It's, all right, we can, we can handle that. But here's the thing. Once you give a little, it becomes easier the next time. Okay, you know what? I looked at that image, and I shouldn't have done that, but uh, it wasn't that bad. And we just keep itching closer and closer, and next thing we're, we know, we're way off course. It always starts with that little compromise, and, and Paul is calling it out saying, hey, listen, there's this wholesome teaching of Jesus, and it, it, there isn't room for that. You have to stay to this because then that keeps you healthy. It, it, he uses, and we're going to see this over again, is the health and sickness. And it starts a lot of times when it comes to false teaching and going off course, it starts with valuing some other teaching over what is laid out in Scripture. Right? This is where we see the, the rock star preacher, whoever that, that one personality is that kind of gets the crowd really going type thing. We kind of just, hey, all right, you know, there, there's a massive amount of people there. Surely he must be speaking the truth. All right? And so there's this huge crowd, and, and we equate uh, health of the message with the number of people, and that's not always the case. And we see this, this isn't something new. This actually happened back in Israelites when they came out of Egypt. You guys remember this story? That God appeared at Mount Sinai. 
And it was a, a scary scene. Fire, lightning, thunder. And God spoke to them as His presence was resting on Mount Sinai. Do you remember what happened after that? The people went up to Moses and said, Hey, listen, don't let God speak to us again. Because if He speaks to us again, we're dead. Like, you, you know what? You just go. You talk to God. Let him talk to you. You tell us what he says, and we'll obey whatever you tell us he says. But we, we, don't, we don't want to have that access because God is a, a uh, ferocious fire, and, and we surely will die if that's the case. And so there's this barrier that's automatically put up, right? And here's the thing is Jesus, when he died, the curtain that divided the Holy of Holies from all of us was torn from top to bottom. We have that full access. We don't need another person, another help book, or anything like that to help us in our relationship with God. He's right there. He's opened up the door, yet we still want that Moses to go before us. We don't want that. We want to keep that barrier so that we can be comfortable, because when we come in God's presence, we realize who we really are and who He is, and it and it frightens us because we realize, oh, I got to change. I, I recognize who God and His holiness really is. So we need to go to the source instead of to others. Like when you're listening more to this rock star preacher, more than God's word, you need to check the health of your relationship with God. I've, I'm guilty of this. I've seen this so many times where I start realizing, hey, I'm quoting more what that preacher said than what actually Scripture says. And we need to have that discernment. This is teachings. He talks about that their teachings promote godly living. All right, And what he's hinting at here is what I like to call fruity discernment. All right, uh, Fruity discernment. And Jesus kind of talked about this even. He said in Matthew 7... Uh, 15 through 20, he said, Be aware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. All right. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And in just in case we didn't catch it the first time, Matthew 11, 18 through 19 says, For uh, John didn't spend his time eating and drinking, and you say he's possessed by a demon. The Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts, drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and friend of tax collectors and other sinners. And then this key right here. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So Jesus says, hey, listen, you can know people, uh, who they really are, by looking at their life, looking at their actions. Do they match up with Scripture? Because their actions are going to show the true heart uh, of the matter. They're going to show their true heart. And then he says, listen, if you maybe can't, don't know that person personally, you can look at his followers, all right? That was the whole thing with Matthew 11. It's like they were saying, well, John was way over here, super strict, and you're kind of over here, like, what's going on? And Jesus says, listen, look at the followers. Does their lives match up, all right? What, look at the change that is taking place, and if there's change taking place, then that shows you the health of everything. And I want to just stop here and encourage you guys that 
I, this isn't just me talking. This is the other adults. Like we have seen, we're seeing change in all of you guys. And you guys might not be able to see it, but the rest of us observing you guys are seeing, hey, God's doing something. Like he's doing something with you guys and, and changing some of the stuff that used to maybe set you guys off. It doesn't anymore. And we see how you react to different things. And it's so encouraging. And I want you to be encouraged that we see that growth. We see what's taking place, and we want you to lean into that. And so there's that whole part of just, this is godly teaching. It's going to lead you right if you obey God's word, obeying his spirit. Verse 4, uh, Paul elaborates on the characteristics of those that are false and, and should be it should not be trusted. It's kind of, he's given the criminal minds profile, right? This is the things that you need to be aware of. And it's easy, what I want us, don't want us to do is, yes, I want us to be aware of maybe those around that we, we don't put our trust in. And so we're, we're aware, like it's kind of like me telling my kids, hey, if, if someone's offering you candy and they have a van, stay away from them, right? It's like stranger danger type thing. We don't do that. But we also need to turn it the scripture is also a mirror before it's a binoculars. And we have to look at it ourselves first and see, okay, is there some of this in our own lives? Because if so, we might be going more down the, the path away from God and not realizing it. So the first thing that he says is that they're arrogant. All right, they're puffed up with conceit uh, is what the ESV says. And this is just thinking more important, uh, thinking that they're more important than they really are, all right? This puffed up is kind of that I'm, you know, that full of hot air, the, you know, just this is who I am, right? This is, I'm that uh, that important, and, and you should know this, all right? But in the instance, it's just like that. It's just hot air. There's no real substance. And so it's this false sense of who you really are, uh, that they're more prideful, all right? They, they lack, it says, lacks understanding and understands nothing, all right? They're arrogant. They say, hey, you need to listen to me because I know all things and all this kind of stuff. But when you start really looking at it, you really understand that hey, you really don't understand anything, all right? You, you lack this understanding. And those who abandon the truth of the gospel think of themselves as wise or in the know and, and thus are bloated up with self-importance. But in reality, they understand nothing. It's kind of like, hey, look at this new thing that I got, right? And they kind of, and this, this new insight that God has given me type thing. And then they start puffing up more and more, right? But it's keeping that understanding of like, hey, I do understand some things, but there's still a lot that I don't know. Uh, this desire to quibble over stupid stuff, uh, Paul says. Uh, the unhealthy craving for controversy is what he kind of talks about. I see this on a daily basis basis with my kids, all right? It's constant, this, this quibble over stupid stuff. Oh, she ate my cookie. Oh, she touched me. She looked at me. She breathed on me. I'm like, oh my word. And then you start like addressing it, and it's like, then they start fighting over you because you gave them what they're wanting. It's like, what in the world? I don't understand what's going on. It's like they want to fight, and it's like, why are we fighting? I don't know, because we just want to fight. And there's this constant, that's what he's talking about, is there, there's this constant state of just wanting to fight. And Paul is describing this as a state of sickness and, and light of what uh, Scripture says is a sound, healthy, this is the way to healthy life. He describes it as a sickness. And like any sickness, there is patient zero, all right? And he's, I want to bring this home with the false teachers. There's patient zero, and if left untreated, and it starts infecting everyone. And that's where all of a sudden you can have a stadium full of people that are infected with the false teaching. 
And it's so why we need to be so diligent about staying true to God's word. And as this dangerous sickness spreads, it produces this poison, right? That destroys relationships and church unity. It starts putting up more barriers. So how do we tell if there's a false teaching or a lie that's being believed in a church and ministry? Well, he goes on and says they're kind of constantly stirring the pot, all right? The, the, the stirs up arguments, all right? And so what he's talking about here is just look in their wake, all right? You see the boat in the lake, and it, it kind of goes, and there's the ripple effects that comes from that boat afterwards. And you're kind of looking at, okay, what's coming behind this person? Is, do they leave peace where they go? Or is there chaos and strife? So he talks about how they're constantly stirring up arguments and that ends in jealousy and envy. And envy is indirect, uh, it's a discontent thirst for advantage and position that breeds distrust. And it's in direct conflict with what we read in Galatians 5 of, and being in step with the Spirit. You can't be envious and discontent and still be walking in the Spirit. Because discontentment is the very first step of opening up yourself to the demonic. When you start becoming discontent with what God has given you, you're opening yourself up. We see this with Eve, like, oh, you're right. God is maybe holding back on me type thing, all right? Then he says there's division and dissension, the strife that is just constant struggle. There's this constant friction, right? There's slander going around. There's there's evil suspicions, malicious talk and evil suspicions, this rumor spreading that's taking place and distrust, and, and they're all offspring of this envy and strife. But I want to look at this, what he, how he closes in verse 5 with this graphic summary, all right? He says that, this disease, this disease that's being spread by the heretics would result in a kind of spiritual mental illness. And this is where it gets so serious and why we have to take this so serious because we're all about mental health, right, right now in our, our day and age. And if we're not careful in grounding ourselves in the truth and something that's healthy, then we're going to open ourselves up to some mental health issues, this mental Spiritual mental illness that he talks about. The ESV, it says, the depraved mind and deprived of truth. If you remember back, you remember what Jesus, or Paul had said earlier on about the false teachers, that they had uh, been branded, their conscience had been branded by Satan, that they were marked as Satan. And, and this isn't the first time that he's kind of said this. In verse 3, uh, between corrupt behavior and rejection of God, uh, what he did in Romans 1, all right? He's doing the same thing in Romans 1. If you looked at Romans 1, it talks about how the people kind of, they knew the truth and they suppressed it. Uh, and that whole terminology there that he talks about suppressing the truth is actually holding someone down and drowning them underwater. It's like, hey, that's the truth. We don't want the truth and we're going to drown the truth. And that's exactly where our culture is at today, is that I don't want the truth because then that means there's a standard that I have to live by, and I don't want to do that. And so we hold that truth down. We try to drown the truth. And when you do that, you start opening yourselves up to believing lies, and your mind starts getting corrupted. It gets sick. Here, the corrupt mind and being robbed of truth it amounts to the same thing of what Paul had said in Romans 1. And it's more of this nutritional imagery. It's this saying that they're anorexic, like they don't, they, they are lacking truth, true nutrition. And the heretics no, can no longer comprehend God's truth because their mind, that organ of rational discernment, has been corrupted by false teaching. 
It's, it's saying you are what you eat. So the more that you say, all right, listen, this is a cool little teaching. And you keep going down those rabbit trails and you're not grounding yourself in the truth. Next thing you know, you're way off course and your mind has been completely seared. They are incapable. It come, you will get to a point where you're incapable of accepting truth because of pride. Just like Satan. That's exactly what Satan does. He, he deprives the truth. He's the father of lies. And, and his pride keeps him from being able to accept the truth. Uh, and when you've feasted so much on the lies, the truth is revolting. All right? It's kind of the same thing as when you have a healthy diet, when you eat something that's unhealthy, you revolt against, your body revolts against it. Well, it's the same thing here. John uh, 8, uh, Jesus even talks about this. John 8, uh, you might remember this from Bible the other day. John 8, 43 through 47, Jesus says to the people, If God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? All right, Jesus is like, listen, I'm trying to be super clear. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. And then he talks about this father. Here's your true father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He, was, he has always, always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is cons- consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I am telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Jesus throws down the gauntlet. He's like, listen, this is you, you guys are going completely opposite direction. So look at this. Look at We've looked at so many different times, right? And Paul's, again, repeating it here, looking at what the life of a false teacher and false teaching looks like. Those that believe the false teaching and the false teacher. I mean, does it look appealing? I mean, who really wants to live in constant strife, constant struggles, constantly slandering? Like, who wants to truly live that way? So what would be the motivation? Just like we would look at someone that's in the the serial killer, like, why would you do that? What is the motivation here? Why, Why go from the truth when the truth you recognize and you can see where it leads? Why go the opposite direction? Well, and he gets into this at the very end. If, if this life is truly, they've betrayed their heaven, right? They've betrayed the eternal destination of heaven. And this life is now all that they have. Then money becomes the goal. Uh, left unchecked, even the best can be led astray by money. It becomes a very powerful, powerful tool if it's not in check with God. And sometimes in ministry, ministers will find themselves in a tough spot because they get to a part and they're like, if I preach this, I might lose half the congregation. And if I lose half the congregation, then that's going to mean loss of my pay. And if I lose my pay, that affects my family. And sometimes it's a lot harder to change things and be true to, the, uh, to say, hey, listen, we're not going down that path anymore because that's not scriptural. We're going to get back to scripture. And it's a lot harder to do that when your paycheck is on the line. And you have to make a choice. Unfortunately, a lot of ministers will settle for entertaining the crowds instead of trying to transform. 
And people, if they're being honest, they would rather have the entertainment than the transformation. That's where our culture lies. But when you have forfeited eternity and this world is all you got, uh, so you got to get as much money as possible. And that's the false teachers. They're the, like basically the worst form of con, art, con artists. Uh, that they, they give just enough truth, but then they leave out some of the other, the key stuff, so then it becomes a lie. And if you choose to reject the gospel, then this life is as close to heaven that you will ever get. But as Christians, this is as close to hell that you will ever be. And that needs to be our motivation. That needs to be at our forefront. And we need to decide which matters more to us. Is it here now or is it heaven? And a decision really is ours and it matters. Because if that's your focus, then that's going to drive your decision making. And you're not going to settle for some of the stuff. You're going to recognize the stuff in you and say, you know what? That's not me. I'm not going to do that. God, I need your help. I'm sorry. I know this is sinful to you, and I'm uh, offense to you, so you please help me to overcome this. And he will. But the decision's ours. And talking with money, and we're going to talk more about it uh, next time. There's a story that I always come back to in, in Mark 10, all right? And I'll just read some of it. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? There's something within us that says, There's something more to this. There's something else. What do I have to do? Right? And Jesus says, Why do you call me good? All right? Jesus asks, Only God is truly good. He's trying to get this rich young ruler, this rich young guy, to understand listen, I'm not just a good teacher, I'm God. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone and honor your father and mother. All right? It's all these do nots and do, 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 do. And he says, listen. He says, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young, which is amazing. And probably also not exactly true. All right? Uh, I mean, the honor your father and mother, I mean, almost by the time you're two years old, you've already disobeyed that one, okay? So he's already ruined that, but he's like still focusing. He's got the checklist. He's like, I'm hitting all these things. Like, I'm doing all these things. So why do I still feel empty? What is it about that I feel still feel so distant? Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him because he recognizes this guy's true state. He's the doctor that sees the true heart. He says, there's still one thing that you haven't done. And he told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Still holding on. He's trying to, he's having a backup plan, right? He's having this backup plan of having, he's accumulated all this wealth. And Jesus says, listen, if you're going to come in and follow me, then it's all or nothing. And you're going to have to forsake that. In verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad, for he had many possessions. But that's not true. The possessions actually had him. And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. All right, everybody thought the rich, I mean, they get everything that they want, so surely they're going to get into heaven too. But he says, this, is, this amazed them. All right, he's saying, no, this isn't possible. Jesus said again, dear children, it's, easy, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich 
person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are there like, okay, if the rich can't give in, then who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. And Peter's like, he's reeling in this, and he's like, listen, God, you, you say all this. Well, we've given up everything to follow you, so, so, so what about us? And Jesus said, yes, and I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with their persecution. In the world to come, that people will have eternal life, but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. It's reorganizing our priorities. And that's where the small compromises come into effect, is that we have to begin this transformation process of actually looking at Scripture, being grounded in Scripture, being listening and obeying the Spirit to say, okay, I want to invest my life so that it matters for the life that to come. And if that means I get some blessings on the way, great. But if not... That doesn't matter. This is my focus. That's where I'm headed. And I'm not going to compromise, and I'm not wanting to go away from anything else because I want to bring as many people with me. And in my wake, I want there to be peace. I want people to see the kingdom. I want to see the kingdom come down. And so it means that we have to live differently. And Paul's calling it out. He's saying, listen, some of these people that look, they, 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 maybe on the outside, they look like they have it all together, but inwardly, they don't. And if you're watching closely, you will see these red flags pop up. But may it not be so for us. May we keep our eyes heavenly on heavenly things and think about the moment we will see God face to face and think about, okay, I don't want to see you, God, with regret. I don't want, I want to lay it all on the line. I want to be knowing that I did everything, that I stepped out in faith and allowed you to actually show up. I want to know that I tapped into the power of your spirit to do your work. I don't want to see and be all of a sudden like realizing I could have done so much more. And it all begins to have no regrets when we see God. It all begins with striving to live in the light here and now. In the next moment, as we keep that focus on the world to come and not this life and realizing, hey, this life, it's all going to go away. The stuff that happens here, it's eventually just not going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is that I loved God and I loved his people and I shared him with them.